Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. Today's episode, wall-to-wall courage or cringe. Backed by popular demand, we dedicate our entire episode to our courage or cringe segment. This week, McConnell, Mandalorian, Mavericks, and Mandating. Can the Senate Minority Leader attach moral responsibility to an act that he nevertheless chose to acquit? Actress Gina Carano finally succumbs to cancellation. Was it warranted or way over the top? Did the Mavs nail it or blow it with their contribution to the national anthem conversation in the NBA? And lastly, does mandatory COVID testing for the friendly skies leave us safer or does it signal the death knell for an already bruised and battered industry? This and oh so much more on this episode of TDR. Jesus, here we are yet again. Happy Mardi Gras, by the way. Oh, is it? Today's Mardi Mardi Gras. Gras. Oh, wow. uh, Have you ever been to Mardi Gras? Um, you know what? I've been to New Orleans. I don't think I've been there during the day of Mardi Gras. So I've been right around the day of Mardi Gras. Uh-huh. So I forget now. It was either right before or right after. Okay. I think it was right before. Right before. Things were getting geared up. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm so glad I was not there day of because <laughs> it was too much for me. I just, it uh, was, even though it wasn't like on the actual date, you know, it's quite the party. Well, you know, it, it has a long history, obviously. I don't know. Maybe a lot of people know it, but just to, to mention it, Mardi Gras, the word Mardi is French for Tuesday and Gras is um, fat or specifically animal fat is what it means. So Fat Tuesday. That was Fat Tuesday, yeah. Fat Tuesday. And it basically is the day before Ash Wednesday, right? The the beginning Lent, the Christian penitential season, begins on Ash Wednesday. And Fat Tuesday is the day right before you're supposed to give up all this stuff. So it's a day that's marked by... Of course, indulgence and debauchery, which is... Which, which I think is kind of hilarious, right? Like, right. you're getting ready to sort of clean your soul and everything, and like, we're going to go... We're going to go all we're out. We're going to go all, all in. <laughs> and, eat. And, and, and the whole idea of Fat Tuesday or animal fat, right, in French, is because you would give up a lot of the times as a way to do penance. You give up meat, right. right? So the whole idea of giving up animal fat. So this was Fat Tuesday. We're going to eat all the animal fat, have all the bacon and all the booze that we want, and right. then the next day... It'll be uh, like Chicharron Tuesday. That's it. That that's could be it. that could be the, the, new, the new name for it. You want to know what I'm giving up for Lent? Yeah, what, yeah. I'm super <laughs> curious. Yes, I asked you already. You don't want to tell me. So one of the things that I thought about doing um, was to actually make my smartphone a uh, not so smartphone. 
So I'm going to take everything that is not a utility and uh, delete it. So basically, okay, like what? Like what? What? What are the non-utility well, like anything apps that that's Charlie gets anything that's on? anything that's entertainment based or anything that's social? So like YouTube, um, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. All the social ones are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube's a big one for me. Like it's oh, okay. a, it's a. And sometimes I use it for utility purposes. Like I had to change the, the sink in our office and I had to look up how to do that. I mean, not the sink, the uh, faucet in our oh, okay. sink. Yeah, yeah, remember? yeah. yeah in, told me in that. Our yeah. office and I had to look up how to do that. So sometimes it's very utilitarian, but um, for the most part, I just use it to watch uh, Texas Hold'em videos, which drive my wife crazy. But um, so I'm getting rid of all that and I'm going to be text, just text, basically text, phone, and maps. Like I think is be the, and if I need to use a calculator or something. So that's one thing. And the second thing, which is potentially even larger is I'm removing the television from my bedroom. Are you a big TV guy? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's like an automatic home. thing. You just mm-hmm. get to bed and it's like, I turn it on and yeah. Anyway, those are my two things, but I'll add some more, uh, you know, some Lenten accretions oh, wow. as we go along. I think usually people will try to remove some stuff once true. they start that's and not, not add that's more true. to it, but that's okay. True. Anyway, for for a second there, I thought you were going to tell me that you were going to go back to the brick phone as your. Uh, I'm you know like, what? that's a bold move right there. I like it. I you, like it. You know, the phone that I had that I really loved was when when this kind of smart stuff right before it all really happened. I had the um, Sidekick. Do you remember the Sidekick? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It that's had a super little, popular phone, actually. Yeah, the little sliding. Want to have it back? Yeah, yeah. It was super cool. I just yeah, remember like going, cool. like, "Wow!" I never had it, but yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. When I was working at AOL, we had that one, and then the other one, of course, which is like, I mean, I was a complete fanboy of was the Blackberries, as they basically yeah. every iteration of the Blackberry. I was, I I was a big fan of Blackberry. Yeah, just that keyboard. Black, man. Blackberries were cool until they were immediately uncool. Yeah, it happened the it, moment it that happened people, overnight. It did, but I think it happened the moment that people really adopted the idea of screen, like the idea of yeah. not having a physical keyboard. I mean, the moment that happened, right. that was it. They were dead. Right, right. I I do remember. I don't know when this was. It must have been maybe a year ago or two. I was on a flight and I saw a guy using a BlackBerry and it was like, wow. It was kind of, I wanted to take a picture of him using it, but I felt like it would be rude if he actually saw me <laughs> take a picture. <laughs> but it was like seeing a dinosaur. I right? seen a little relic, you know, so yeah. it, was, it was pretty funny. But I, I never type faster than on a BlackBerry though, man. You could just punch, just punch yeah, out yeah, yeah. an email and now it's like, you know, delete, 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 delete. Okay, so we, uh, we're doing a special exit, all, all you can eat. It's Mardi Gras uh, uh, a special for, uh, for our show today. So all you can eat, courage or cringe, um, rather than having our deep dive today. And we may even get, if, we, if we're succinct enough, maybe able to get to either other issues. But we've identified four, um, mm-hmm. McConnell, Mandalorian, Mavericks, and Mandating. All of them has a very interesting story. Lots to talk about. Jesus, how do we begin? Uh, let's start with the uh, impeachment and uh, with McConnell, the first M, McConnell. Mm. So as most everyone knows, you know, former President Trump, and I'm going to start, I'm going to just, now I'm going to be consistent saying former because you called me out you, and I feel like have, I have, have to, to do that. now Stick lead in to hard. it, baby. Stick to it. Uh, so as most everyone knows, former President Trump was acquitted from his historic second impeachment trial in a vote of 57 to 43, right? Which means that only seven of the 50 Senate Republicans uh, voted to convict. Right. And just as a reminder for conviction to occur, basically it needs two thirds of the Senate need to vote to convict. So they were basically short by about, by about 10 votes. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, if you listen to the reasons why many of the Republicans decided not to convict, you kind of get into two camps and it's a it's an and or. Right. Um, and those two camps primarily consist of one is those that didn't believe that former President Trump bore responsibility for the attack. Mm-hmm. Right. And or. Those that felt that impeachment was unconstitutional as they felt that you could not impeach a former president that was no longer in office, right? Even if that impeachment had begun 
while they were in offense. Right. Right. So, so those one, those so are your two primary camps, right? right. You got others that are even further out, but those are your two main ones. And just lay lay person would be like, hey, I listened to everything. He was not responsible. Right. Or B, we can't even consider the question because it's, it's unconstitutional. Exactly. And the reason why these two are super relevant is because the impeachment was actually a, probably the most straightforward. I don't know if ever, but at least compared to the first impeachment, much more straightforward. One article of impeachment right. saying that President Trump or former President Trump, to be consistent, was uh, primarily responsible for the attack that happened in the you know Capitol Hill. Right. And, it and it went it pretty that. quick too. The, it was the whole it was pretty process. quick. Uh, it was pretty pretty quick. The whole process, um, in part because of the simplicity of the argument. Mm-hmm. Right now, what By I the thought way, was strategically just before you even start, is that an error in in the prosecutors or the camp? What are they called? The house managers. The, the house managers. Yeah. Was that an error in strategy in terms of so narrowly trying to? No, I, I actually don't. I, I think part of the problem with impeachment trials now, I haven't really, to be perfectly honest, the second I say that, I haven't really like really studied hard the right. other two times that it happened, right? Because right. this is the fourth time, twice happening with uh, with uh, President Trump. I guess not, was it five? Because I know it was Bill well, it was Clinton, Bill it was Clinton, Nixon, uh, Andrew Jackson, was and Andrew the first Jackson, one, right? right? So okay, so we five then five yeah. times. It's just it had happened four before this the yeah. second impeachment. Um, but in any case, I think, uh, I mean, at least compared to the situation with with President Trump at the first time, this is significantly easier. So in some ways, it makes it much more simpler to basically be a yay or nay on it, mm-hmm. right? And even when you see the arguments uh, against it. Sorry, I want to just correct this really quickly. Andrew Johnson, Johnson, okay. Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, three presidents, three. a total of four times. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so perfect. That's 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 who the, got the, it. Okay. the, so the numbers times, is yeah, yeah. more than the people. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, not, and not Andrew Jackson, Johnson. Go ahead. Andrew Johnson. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, so I, I don't think it's a mistake. I actually think that's actually what makes it uh, better because in part, you know, these these impeachment trials are not just happening, in, you know, within the, the, the Senate walls. It also, it's like it's a, it's a public debate that is happening, right? So it is at least, whether you agree or not, it's a pretty simple argument right. to make uh, and to understand, you know, what the argument is and what and now it comes to a matter of whether or not you believe that's the case, right? Um, but to that point, I think the reason I want to talk about in the, con- in the concept of courage, courage or cringe, because I think Mitch McConnell is a really interesting representation of this dynamic, right? In uh, both in what the vote that he made and also the speech that he made afterwards, right? As being also the most powerful Republican um, and the Senate minority leader before it was the majority leader when the, when the Republicans uh, held the Senate, uh, held the majority of the Senate, right? So first he voted not guilty because primarily, and he has a pretty extensive argument why, but because he said that basically former President Trump could not face trial in the Senate as it was unconstitutional, right, being that he was no longer in office. Um, but then he made a speech in the Senate floor where he delivered a, a probably one of the worst um, call-outs of Donald Trump, of former President, uh, no, President Trump, calling him basically in quotes morally responsible for the January 6th attack on the mm-hmm. Capitol, right? Now, mm-hmm. there's a, I actually read through, through maybe all of it, if not most of it, but it was a lot that he was But I'm going to highlight a couple of key phrases that he used, which that was really interesting, right? One, he said, former President Trump's actions preceding the riot were a disgraceful dereliction of duty. He then went on to say, there is no question that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. The people who stormed this building believe they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. Uh, he also said the issue is not only the president's inter, inter, uh, can say word, temperate language on January 6th. Basically, he was making the case that it was everything they did leading to that event. Right, it was which a process. That, which is actually the, the house manager's direct argument, that it wasn't just, if you just take the 
his comments on the day of and remove all the other context, then you can have a different, different, very different view. Right. But if we put it in context, is what's a lot more damning, right? He also says, sadly, many politicians uh, sometimes make overheated comments mm-hmm. or use metaphors that unhinged listeners might take literally, but this was different, right? And that's also, an, uh, I think, a, a very interesting argument that he's making, which counters a lot of the argument that many made where they were saying that he wasn't really at fault because this kind of you know rhetoric you will hear from other politicians, right? And then lastly, he, as it relates to, the, to, to what the former president did on the day of the event, and his specific response, he said, but the president did not act swiftly. He did not do his job. He didn't take steps so federal law could be faithfully executed in order restored. He actually talks about the response that he thought right. the president had during the day of the event. So he basically went through item by item and yeah. picked apart, and as a matter of fact, reinforced the argument that the Democrats were making as to why to be impeached. Um, and 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 kind of leaves the door open to the degree that he can maybe you know President Trump may actually be still be prosecuted, uh, you know, a, a, as a crime, but not necessarily, but yeah, not, criminally, yeah. but not necessarily as as an impeachment. Right. And then he makes this basically his whole argument as to why he thinks that you know that basically with Article Two, Section Four of the Constitution, that really defines the what people could be what presidents could be impeached for, and then and who, who could be could impeached, be impeached, which is yeah. not just presidents, president, vice president as well, right. Uh, but as not to why past he, presidents is what his point. Yeah, is what his point was, right? right? So, putting all that in context, but the, the last thing I would just say here, which is just relevant to mm-hmm. to the timing, is that uh, as we're prepping for this um, and writing this up, there's of course now a statement that has been put out by former President Trump responding to McConnell, right? What he said, and I quote, <laughs> "Which I haven't read by the yeah. way, this is the first time I'm going to hear this." <laughs> Mitch is a dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack, and if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again. He will never do what needs to be done or what is right for our country. Where necessary and appropriate, I will back primary rivals who espouse making America great again and our policy of America first. We want brilliant, strong, thoughtful, and compassionate leadership. So this is a... Wait, what was it? Dower? What was the other, the other adjectives? Sorry. Dower what? Uh, Dower sullen and unsmiling. Sullen and unsmiling. Unsmiling political hack. Political Ooh, hack. I mean... That one's overused, but the other ones are really interesting. It's interesting in the... Like they all go to temperament. They don't really go to competence. It's like he's just like a grumpy old... I mean, but that's kind of you know that's that's very is a very line to uh, to Trump in terms of how he goes after people. But Mm -hmm. but it does speak to what is the broader underlying issue Mm -hmm. here is to agree that if you go after Trump or against him, you know you are at risk, and you are at risk in terms of uh, of being able to to continue to hold your seat. And he's making that very clear in case people have forgotten. Right, certainly the card he seems to be playing. So you know, as I thought about uh, courage or cringe, Mm -hmm. right, being that it feels like this very in my mind, very mixed message of what, yep, you I know, of that. Mitch McConnell, what he's saying and how much he's mm-hmm. really going after Trump and then turn around and saying, but yeah, but having said all this because of my interpretation, because it's also, this is a very debated point by mm-hmm. depending on, on what scholar you're asking literally is that, and by the way, something that the Senate actually agreed to move forward on mm-hmm. that it was fall within the constitution to actually have an impeachment trial. Right. So in, in essence, you can say, well, the Senate has a mechanism to determine whether or not, it actually falls within the Constitution, and they agreed through vote of the majority, which is the way that part is done, right. that it is constitutional. But yet you turn around and say, "Yeah, having said all that, I still don't think the Constitution right. actually holds up." And that's the difference. And even though mm-hmm. I completely agree with the argument, yeah, even and even went to the extent of like really going after him. Yeah, I mean the, the the tricky thing is when the body of the Senate votes as a body wins by a majority to actually he- have something happen. 
um, that a person still may have or feel that they have a liberty to say is unconstitutional. In other words, the mere fact that the Senate decided to take on the issue and say it is constitutional and kind of vote in that way wasn't enough to convince people who thought it wasn't unconstitutional, who thought it, you know, who thought it was unconstitutional to, to, to change their argumentation as a result. So I think that's like the core issue, but because if you take, I understand the look of it being sort of logically inconsistent, but if you take McConnell as believing that it's unconstitutional to impeach a former president, then it's not inconsistent at all. And here's the way that here's the way to ask you. First of all, again, with any of these things, it's kind of an ugly one way or the other. But for right. me, if I had to pick, I'd put it in the courage category of what he said. This is we're 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 saying is a courageous or cringeworthy mm-hmm. the actions that he actually took. So I'd say it's courage because I think he believes that it's unconstitutional to impeach a former president. And from that I see no logical inconsistency in terms of saying that it's unconstitutional to impeach him, therefore I can't, and yet finding him morally culpable or otherwise. I don't think there's any logical inconsistency with that at all. Um, I also think it's kind of interesting, this is a little bit of a side point, but it's something that we should at some point talk about, maybe not now, but that the idea of only seven, what was it, seven Republicans that voted to impeach? And all the Democrats voted to impeach, and it was it was ten off. I understand that in this particular and case, especially the most partisan vote. If you if you think about it that way, even with only seven, which is meaning what meaning that before that you wouldn't get that much support from the, from the other side, depending on, on what it is. Right? Oh, got it. Okay, so, so it's most bipartisan, you mean? Uh, more, I'm sorry, more yeah. bi- most, sorry, yeah, most yeah, yeah. bipartisan a vote. Yeah, um, even with only seven having. Um, uh, you know, broken rank basically. Right. Voted, voted, uh, this is this is a separate point because I don't think it applies here as much. But just in general, we've come to a moment in political life where the idea of people voting, kind of dissenting, in other words, Democrats having a plural a, a variety of views or or Republicans having a variety of views, is kind of looked at askance a little bit. Like it's like it's so weird that. You know, at least that's how I feel that mm-hmm. people didn't vote in line. Right. Everyone should have either voted for or everyone should have voted against something. And I just feel that that is, to my mind, not the way that we should be setting our kind of bias for. And I realize, again, this I'm not saying this particular case. I'm just saying in general, yeah. the idea of like, oh, so and so few people broke ranks is so I unusual. Mean, it puts into question the whole validity of even having an impeachment trial to begin with. Well, right. If at the end of the day the facts don't matter, yeah. If at the end of the day it is going to be a novelty to have anyone break rank, regardless of whether they agree with it or not. That's my point. So then, like, shouldn't then we have, why even have an impeachment trial? That's, like, but that, that's kind of what I'm saying. It doesn't actually again, matter. Maybe, maybe it's less applicable here. But my point is that I just feel that there's so much novelty around when somebody breaks rank. Like you're not supposed to. Like you are supposed to. You're supposed to do that a lot. Like there should be. If right. we look at an issue, maybe we should get like a bunch of Democrats who go the other direction. But we don't anymore. Like, you know, now you know, it's what's so unusual. About this one is that the comments that Mitch McConnell made, yeah. I actually think they're more common, uh, more commonly mm-hmm. held for for more Republicans than not. I mean, I think it's a lot of them who actually felt the same way. Sure, it still, of course, voted not to not to convict. I think the well, I'll let you finish, and I'll, I'll respond well, to me, the why. I'm just going to I'm just going to address not whether or not I agree with it, but what he actually did. Right, so yeah, I'm yeah. saying it's courageous, and I believe that I'm I'm saying that for the simple reason that. I'm taking him at his word that he believed it was unconstitutional and nevertheless voted to acquit because I don't think that those are logically inconsistent. Let me let me give it to you in another with another position as an example. Mm-hmm. I believe like all or maybe most scientists and embryologists that life begins at fertilization. Life okay. begins at conception. It's something you can read in every textbook in the world. It's not a religious position, it's a scientific one. So I look at it as 
In the case of abortion, abortion is the killing of a human being on purpose. And nevertheless, it wouldn't be right for me. It would be unconstitutional for me to say that Joe Biden, as an example, should be impeached for his support of abortion because abortion is enshrined in our law. Right. Mm -hmm. So in other words, my moral opposition to him does not necessitate me voting for him to be impeached. Right. Because I can see the distinction between those things. Right. Right. So, I mean, I. I believe what I believe about the issue about about abortion, but there's no logical inconsistency in me calling out the fact that abortion is wrong, it harms women, it kills kids, and at the same time, not voting to say, hey, Joe Biden should be impeached because of this position. So similarly, it seems to me, at least from a logical standpoint, that Mitch McConnell can say, this guy's responsible for this morally, the things he did, and more importantly, the things he didn't do, which is what I've said you know, about this. It's not even so much what you do. It's what you don't do. Like you can squash stuff quickly in that position. You can do a lot of things, but I don't think that there's anything inconsistent about him calling out the fact that Trump was responsible by what he did and didn't do. And yet I cannot convict him for, um, imp- I cannot convict him because the impeachment of a former president is not constitutional. Like to me, that actually there's no logical inconsistency. Uh, we can so, disagree with it. Yeah, but yeah. There's so, no logical so I inconsistency. Think, okay. So your your courage. Yeah. I I am cringe on this. I'll start with the with the with the what I am, and okay. then I get into the the, the the why. Uh, I'm definitely cringe on this one. I I I would be courage if I agreed with you that there wasn't any inconsistency, right? Uh, in the sense that I think his statements. The boldness of a statement, how clearly he laid out literally the argument that the the House managers made um, in terms of why they were pursuing the impeachment, um, I think it was really clear. And it actually undermined a lot of the argument that you felt that you heard a lot from from talking heads and other folks that were basically more in the supportive camp of, of, of former President Trump to say as to why he wasn't the case. Everything from, you know, this is not just like any other kind of speech. This is not just about the day of. He really goes into detail in his speech, right? The part where I don't think it's incons- is, is consistent, where I think it's inconsistent, is the fact that if you're saying that this is not constitutional because you don't believe that a, a person or a president or former president can be impeached once they're removed from office and also believe in the power vested by the Senate and the rules that the Senate uses for how they get to determine what actually is constitutional or not before it goes to the Supreme Court, then how could you use the rationale that the same Senate used to actually already determine that it actually does fall within the Constitution? Yeah. yeah. And that's the part where I would actually respect them more if you said, hey, you know what? After hearing the argument, I just don't buy it. I don't buy that he was actually directly responsible. And while I may disagree with the fact that this is constitutional, being that he's no longer in office, because as a Senate, we voted on it. And this is the way that as a Senate, we actually determine whether or not something falls to the Constitution. Then I have to adhere by that decision because I believe in the power of the Senate. Right. That's where I disagree. And I think it's, it's actually <clears throat> the opposite of the example that you gave, right? The, the example that you gave, the reason why you wouldn't vote to impeach mm-hmm. uh, Biden with him having a different point of view or him, uh, you know, uh, supporting abortion is because the Supreme Court has determined this, that, that abortion is legal in the, in the U.S. You could still have be morally opposed to it and sure. that's OK. But at least but in this case, you still are saying, even right. though I'm personally opposed to it, the, 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 the rule of the law of the of the land is, is such. And therefore, correct. I adhere to that way. And this is where I, I don't see it here. Right. This is the part where. Mm-hmm. In that argument, I feel like that's the inconsistent part. It's like, okay, I understand that you don't agree with it. You could just say, I disagree with the fact that the Senate voted that way. But still, as a Senate, this is the way that we would do it. And by the way, because it was the, the other way around. If this was done before, and it would have been a majority Republican Senate, and they would have voted that it will still you know, fall within the Constitution, 
then you would expect everyone else to adhere by that and not use literally that same logic to basically be the reason why they vote against it. I think that's, And that's the mm-hmm. part where I don't get yeah, that. Like I when you use that's the argument, mm-hmm. like, well, you either believe in the power of the Senate or you don't. You don't believe in the rules that the Senate has or you don't. And if, and if you don't, and if you do, yeah. right, which is what I, I think you do, then how can you use that same argument yeah. when something that the senators already determined to be I agree that's super logical what you just said, but there's one part that I don't think you're addressing, which is sure. really important. And that is that there's a difference between the rules of the Senate and the constitutionality of what the Senate does. By definition, even the example that you just brought up about mm-hmm. abortion, you said the Supreme Court is determined. That's the proper place to determine constitutionality, not the Senate. The Senate makes laws. They don't interpret them, right? And so what's missing here, because I agree with you, the rules of the Senate are such that says, hey, we're going to play by these rules. But by their very nature, the Senate is not a place that determines constitutionality, right? So like that's, I think, the missing – I agree but, with you that's that that's the, current, the missing part. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. But that is the current process, right? Now, you can say I don't agree that the current process for determining whether something falls with the Constitution should be left to the Senate as it relates to impeachment. And therefore, it should always be pushed to, to the Supreme Court. Okay, fair argument. But, but that's not the case. The case as it currently stands right now is that who gets to determine if, if something is an impeachable offense in the Senate is the Senate. Now, we could, yes. just, we could agree to say that, hey, this should not be that way. It should right. be different. It should be Supreme Court. I agree with it. But that's the part where I, I don't get his argument. Once again, if you agree with the power of the Senate yeah. and the rule the Senate rules by, or you could say, I don't agree with the, with the, with the rules that the, the Senate rules yeah, I by, just, and I therefore look, it should I'm, go to the Supreme I'm, Court. I get that, I'm, but that's where I don't think it's actually consistent. Yeah, for that's that fine, and I can understand how you wouldn't if you if 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 look. There's a, there's a part of this where maybe, and in fairness, we're probably both outside of our depth yeah, in terms of. Sure, I'm just going back to like eighth grade civics, you know, and going like, wait a minute, it's not the law, it's not the legislators that that interpret yeah, the laws, yeah, yeah. it's the that's, judges, right? So that's fair. So that's the part that I'm just kind of kind of going by. But look, at the end of the day. At least from my vantage point, it looked like it wasn't logically inconsistent. By the way, I'm not saying I agree. I do agree with what I've read about his statement. Um, I think there's been more emphasis said as to uh, uh, to what Donald Trump did as opposed to what he didn't do. I think that what he didn't do is actually more damnable, right, um, than what he did do. Uh, because as the president, you have ultimate sort of ability and power yeah. and potential, and he didn't exercise any of that from my vantage yeah, point. Yeah. So, um, but uh, but I don't think that there's anything uh, cringeworthy, at least how we're playing this game. For, for hey, me the, this. The, the saddest thing with this yeah. whole thing is, for me, it does really undermine the the whole process of impeachment. Hmm. I mean, it just comes down to, I mean, like, what does someone have to do? To get impeached. I mean, the bar at this point well, is so high. Well, he was so impeached, high. though. He was impeached. Yeah. Well, no, I'm sorry. To you're right. To, to be convicted. Yeah. Sorry. To be, you're right. You're right. Right. Yeah. Right to my knowledge. To, to be convicted is like, what does someone actually have to do? Sure. Right. In order to get, to get convicted. Because it, it does, it just, at this moment, it just feels like there isn't a bar high enough uh, to get there. Because at the end of the day, is you still got to, you still got to worry about the political fallout, which really that's the underlying issue with all of this. It's I think just, it'd be really interesting to know the people who voted against or for what they were voting against or for on. If they really honestly in their heart, and we'll never know, thought that like this is not for me to say because I don't believe this is constitutional, that's one thing. I think for people to kind of look at it and go, you know, uh, I didn't see anything wrong here, that's another thing. And I just don't think that we have, at least yeah, I don't have all that intel. Yeah, there, and it, you kind of got both camps. What I still think is at the end of the day is people still fear that uh, former President Trump has enough power that all of them feel like they're at risk. Look, if Mitch McConnell, the most powerful Republican in the Senate, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe maybe he'll get termed because of this. 
right? Um, at least that's the threat that that uh, you know Trump is already making on him, and for and that's him with having a lot of power. Term limits for all of them, Jesus, right? As far but as I'm concerned, yeah, but uh, but I mean, do it for the right reason too, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's been really interesting, and we have to move on from the topic. But I just saw a poll hit, and I think I forget. I think it's political who put it out, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it basically tracks what how people feel about you know former President Trump right after the election, how they felt right after the the insurrection, mm-hmm. and then how they felt like uh, just very recently, like in February, right? And it went from like fifty four percent support by Republicans to forty six percent, I think is what it was, mm-hmm. right after insurrection, back to fifty four percent, right? Mm-hmm. The most interesting point here. Wait, after the impeachment, it went back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it goes, goes back up to like right, right after the elections, right? What's most interesting is that the thing they were tracking was um, what Republicans are blaming, who they're blaming the, the capital rights on. Right. Now they're blaming the Biden the more than President Trump. <laughs> really? Biden is more guilty Amen. of it because it's like, so it's all. What is, that, what is the line from Shakespeare all, about, uh, about uh, weary the head who wears the crown or something? <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? I forget where it's from. I think it's Macbeth. Uh, but anyway, right. uh, the president never gets a break. All right. So um, we're starting off in novel fashion. Not really always uh, starting off that way. But um, what's uh, what's number two? All right. Uh, the Mandalorian star, Gina Carano. Oh, yes. Gina Carano. Was fired amid social media. By the way, we were super early on this. For yeah, the record, yeah, yeah. for the record, we, going back uh, 10, we were 15 shows. About Gina Carano, like this is not going to end well. Yep. Uh, so Gina Carano was fired by Disney. Have you still seen the show, or you haven't seen it yet? I still haven't seen it. Damn, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I, I know. It's, and you're a guy who has a desktop, a screensaver, a Star Wars. I do. <laughs> that <laughs> so is so like, sad. If people knew, ah uh, man, and now they do. Yeah, yeah. So they were, she was fired by Disney uh, slash Lucasfilms mm-hmm. uh, after sharing a post on social media implying that being a Republican today, I don't know if a Republican, maybe being a conservative today, maybe maybe the better way to say it, is like being Jewish during the Holocaust, mm-hmm. right? And she was also dropped by UTA. Now, I, I, just to read what she actually wrote, right? So in quotes, uh, Jews were being in the streets not by Nazi soldiers but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people uh, today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighborhoods hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views, right? And that's what she put. And as soon as she put that, I mean, I think it was just the last straw. Um, immediately, she got dropped by Disney, which is interesting, right? Because actually, at one point... She was one of the more popular characters of the series early on. Um, apparently, even Lucasfilm had planned to unveil Carano as a star of one of her own Disney Plus series mm-hmm. during the December Investor's Day presentation, but scrapped those plans following her November tweets. And she's one that had been, you know, marred in, in controversy. So the one that we talked about the last time is when she was being accused of mocking trans people uh, by saying that she, w- she was going to use the R2-D2 sound as her pronoun after she was being, sound like she was being pressured right. I remember we talked by about folks. That. Yeah, exactly, right? Also, last November, she issued some contentious tweets, one in which she mocked mask wearing amid the, the, the you know the coronavirus pandemic, another in which she falsely suggested voter fraud uh, occurred during the 2020 presidential election, which, by the way, that should just get thrown out because even if you're the president and, you know, get impeached, it doesn't really matter. So maybe we discard that one. Uh, by the way, but what's interesting is since what has happened, right? So since uh, her firing... She announced a new film project that she will star in and produce for the Daily Wire, which is the media company that has been started by Ben Shapiro, a very conservative um, uh, podcast host and has his own, obviously, his own media company. Uh, her own social media has actually grown by over 150,000 uh, yeah. likes. Although, you know, well, it's 150,000 on each platform, Twitter and on Insta. On Twitter, and, but, yeah. which is impressive, but not as impressive when you see that she's already at 1.8 million. 
I mean, she had a pretty large following to begin with. True. Um, although I am, cu- I am curious to what that was, maybe once all this, this sort of controversy started to happen mm-hmm. versus what it is now. And has also gotten support from Dana White, who, you know, who himself is also has had his own share of controversy. And he got into the whole thing with he's like, you know, um, uh, made some disparaging remarks about a reporter, a UFC reporter who uh, had commented on her on her post. Um, but that was like a whole other issue. But, you know, it's getting supporters from there as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this is uh, Gina Carano. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, bound to happen. Uh, encourage or cringe. And I guess for courage or cringe, we should frame it around the actual firing oh, of, yeah. of Gina Carano, right? Yep. Where are you? Um, I, I, I mean, I put it courage. It's one of those, you know, my, I don't want to put a percentage on it because mm-hmm. I can't, but if I have to pick one versus the other, I think it is going to be courage simply because not that I think it's so courageous what Disney did, but I just think is a case where Gina just cannot help herself. Like it's just like knowing, like you're poking the bear enough times that at some point you're going to say something or do something that is just going to get people over the top. It's like, at some point, you're just too much of a, of a, of a, of a, of a hassle. Even if, even if you're for, like, I'm not mm-hmm. saying Disney is or isn't, but let's say Disney is one of those companies. I'm just assuming here. Let's just, just pretend they're one of those companies that like, look, we want to have diverse voices, support diverse people. And that's great. And we may not agree with everything, but that's okay. Right. Like there is also a limit to that. I think the second you start to make comparisons to Nazis, to Jews, to like, nothing good is going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't know how you say that and not get immediate backlash from people. And there's only certain cases like that where you can just continue to push the envelope and push the envelope until finally it's going to, it's going to happen. And look, this is all going to get, it gets framed immediately by her. And I get it. And other people that are conservative saying like, this is another one of uh, deplatforming and, and you know, this is against, against freedom of speech. But you know, that's the thing that people keep on sort of forgetting. The second part is freedom of speech does not make freedom of, of, of consequence. And it's a case where you could say these things, but there is going to be a consequence. I think you're going to rub people the wrong way once you start comparing yourself to Jews that were literally eliminated, uh, you know, based on who they were. And and to put, put it in the context of getting the platform and social media is just such a, I think, a bad comparison that nothing good was going to come out of that, mm-hmm. which is why I put it in the in the courage, even though honestly, I think of it as being super courageous. But but I think at the end of the day, this is just an outcome of something that was going to happen. Because I just think she could not help herself. Yeah. Um, so I, I see it completely differently. I think this is a massive cringe. Um, and she's been completely canceled, right? I mean, at least her character has. Hasbro's not making the toys. UTA, her agency, dumped her. She'll never work for Disney again, period. And that's for the sure. thing. Even yeah, if she, she even if she, th- this is this is where it begins to show you. Um, and it's questionable whether she'll, she'll do any, like, major work well, that's anymore. That's my point. I qu- not I, just Disney. It's like, right. the second UTA drops you, is like. Yeah, UTA drops you and all these other guys. But but I mean, look, this is all a popularity contest and, and it's all the, the the part that makes your argument to my mind not very um strong in terms of there's um freedom of speech, but also you get to have the consequences. I don't I don't see anybody disputing that. What the issue is is who's got the power. And the power is all held by people who similarly have the same perspective and the same ideology, whether it's the media companies or the platforms. At least that's the sense that you get from the way that they, you know, behave and by admittedly even their positions on public policy and things like that. So I think that's the issue is that it's one, it's a, it's about an imbalance in the power dynamic, right? Where it's like, if everybody feels the exact same way, it's not about the consequences, it's just that I can never get a fair shake. So I think that's one of, one of the issues. The other one, you already touched about the doubling of her social media, which I thought was kind of funny. But, but some of this is like, we, we got to just remember to always go to the source, right? So a lot of the articles that I read about this are just patently false, right? Like the, docu- the, the, the controversy of her making fun of masks, 
at one point where you actually read what she said. And she was saying the politicians were now proposing blindfolds to go with the masks so we couldn't see what they were doing. It was like yeah. that's not making fun of people wearing masks, but that's how it was presented in the article. The other one, even I mean, frankly, even the way that you just read it about like um, equating um, people in the Holocaust to Republicans, the word Republican or conservative is not in anything that she wrote. Yeah. What she said was, how is this different from taking from hating someone for their political views? I think the issue with this post I mean, I think is the implication, that, though, can be made to at least conservative of point of view. Of course right? it can, I think Republican, saying, that's why it is a – like I took the headline and then like immediately no, 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 I, I break agree. it apart. You I, can at least say conservative By the way, I agree it's in the implication. I even agree it's what she meant, but it's not what she said. And right. I, we have to be you know, yeah, just yeah, yeah. clear about this stuff. So, 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 so that's the other thing. Um, I think the issue is that we've come to a moment where there are some things that are impossible to talk about without it being incendiary in certain circles. And the um, Holocaust or Nazi, just the word Nazi is, is yeah. one. Unless you're using Nazi as an insult to somebody, and usually somebody who's right of center, obviously, um, it's, it's, you can't use the word, you can't use or language. Or Hitler for that. I mean, we talked about this with Candace. Uh, Candace Owens. Candace you, Owens, you, right? You, it's like, if you, you try to compare Hitler to nationalism, Good yeah. luck. Like, yeah. no matter how good your person may be, in theory, like, it's just not going to work. I agree. You literally cannot use the terms. But but when I looked at Disney's, the, the part that really made this cringy for me was when I saw Disney's response. The quote says, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities. Uh, what know, the hell were you reading? That, that's funny. I, I, I had that in here in my notes, and then I deleted it just to make it more brief. But I, I had the same kind of response to, like, are you specifically referring to this post because that's not really what that what that is. If you're referring to because also like part of our controversy is that he was very also very publicly against Black Lives Matter at least as it relates to her liking you know tweets and comments from other people being against it is that the maybe, organization is yes. that maybe mm-hmm. what you're talking about like uh, that's why I, I, I don't gave know. a little bit of benefit of the doubt but yeah. if you're using that relative to this specific statement I, I agree that's that's actually not correct yeah so I, I look I, I see this as libelous is, is frankly what it is and there may be you know some lawsuits that follow but ultimately look I think that when you fire somebody because I also agree with you you keep poking the the private employer. The private employer is a private employer, and they're yeah. going to cut you loose. And if you're a headache for them, you're gone. And that's and frankly, I don't disagree with that. I think you, an employer should have that opportunity. But nevertheless, now Disney has the comparison problem, which is okay. Why this woman? And let's take a look at some other people who've been controversial, right? Like the director James Gunn, the director right. of Guardians yeah, of the yeah. Galaxy, who made horrific. I mean, horrific jokes and things about child rape and porn. I mean, right. pedophilia. And just he, he's gr- the one that he got fired and then got rehired. Brought, got rehired. Yeah. After that, his whole cast and crew were like very supportive of him. I get it. I and understand that. somehow they, they brought him it. back. But in this yeah. case, you know, Pablo, uh, um, sorry, Pedro Pascal is, from what I understand, is supportive and other cast members are supportive of her, but they're not going to make a difference not, here. Not to that degree. I don't it's think. not going to make a difference, yeah. right? So my point is that you end up with that comparison problem yeah, and, um, and that, you know, they're going to have to deal with that. Look, I think she's going to be fine. Um, I think, you know, ultimately she may become, you know, her profile may may be raised in certain areas. I'm sure she doesn't want to just be talking about political things, but that's going to be the next two, three years for her at at a minimum at this point. I disagree with the firing. I think it's I think it's like I said, libelous. And I think the whole thing is a cringe. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to argue the opposite, which is private companies don't have the right to do what they what they do. So, um, but her, yeah, her best move really should just be at this point, just lean into it. 
Like yeah, it seems like that's what she's doing. That's kind of what she's doing. She's producing a but but I would say not just producing a film or yeah. being an actress. Like lean into like if this is your point of view and you want to be very vocal, then become that. Because mm-hmm. actually that's really what's unit was gonna build your brand more because going back to traditional media, especially with with this last one, and I agree with you, talking about Nazis and Jews is like one of the things that you just can't. Yeah. I put it I put maybe nine eleven in there as well in that sort yeah. of same kind of category. Like there's just certain things that you just it's really hard to recover from. And in the in the world of media and content, yes, you're right. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's yeah. just anybody who you and I would be giving advice to ever on anything would be like, don't use that. It's yeah, just it's, it's just, not gonna it's, help you. It's a lose lose situation. Lose, lose Even if you're somehow right. the fringe is sort of right of the point that you're trying to be. Of course. Make. And that's, I think, the case here. Don't use it in case. sarcasm, by the way. No one gets sarcasm. Sure. And sure. there's only like downside to it. I yeah. Mean, yeah. So it's, it's sad all around. But all right. But, anyway. but you're cringe at the end of the day because, yes, especially because of the response. Yeah. I mean, look, if I if I put more weight to the comment that they made when letting them go, I, I think I will be in the same, the same boat with you. Mm-hmm. I really focus more on just the decision. And the decision based on just the history here, it just, it's kind of hard to not. You know, end up in the same place that they, that they did. All right, we're split again. Ooh, not Move, doing well today. Moving All right. on to basketball. All right. We're gonna I'm we're sure gonna we can redeem come it back. Now. Come back. Um, Mark Cuban I've says of Dallas Mavericks didn't cancel the national anthem, and cites <laughs> ongoing dialogue with community. <laughs> you know, it's we not just, gonna be a good. We just didn't play it for a little while. But that's not, not gonna be a good a good topic. It's not the a good way to start. That way, that's the headline, by the <laughs> right. way. And I think that was either USA Today or, or ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the story here. For the first 13 preseason and regular season home games, mm-hmm. the Dallas Mavericks, without letting anyone know, just did not play the national anthem. Uh, according to their owner, Mark Cuban, the decision uh, to do so was basically a product of ongoing conversation with members of a community who felt the tradition, and I quote, did not fully represent them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to quote what, what he said about this, said, we didn't make any decision to never play the national anthem then. That wasn't the case at all. We didn't cancel national anthem. We still had our flag flying proud up on the wall at the American Airlines Center, and everybody had the opportunity to address it and pray to it or salute it or whatever their feelings are, which, by the way, I love the and pray to it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now, <laughs> in response, the uh. NBA, in their response, the NBA put out a statement reiterating this longstanding policy mm-hmm. that all teams will play the national anthem, right? So they kind of came back because the, they started getting reported that, hey, these guys are not playing the national anthem. Like, what's going on? So the NBA put out this policy, and then Mark Cuban responded in a statement. To or it was that, a reminder of the policy, maybe. A reminder, yeah. right? Uh, he said, look, we respect and always have respected the passion people have for the anthem and our country, but we also loudly hear the voices of those who feel that the anthem does not represent them. We feel that their voices need to be respected and heard because they have not been. Our hope is that going forward, people will take the same passion they have for this issue and apply the same amount of energy to listen to those who feel differently from them. Then we can move forward and have courageous conversations that move this country forward and find what unite us. Mm-hmm. End quote. Mm-hmm. This reminded me of one of those apologies that like sometimes I've gotten from, I'm not going to name who, but one of my loved ones that they're like, fine, I'm sorry. I'm a <laughs> terrible person. You know what I mean? It's like one of those, it's like this, it's not even half hearted. It's yeah. fully hearted, yeah, but it's yeah. just like, too much heart as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's also got a, you know, kick in the nuts too, like yeah, uh, while yeah. you're doing it. So, um, but right. anyway. Want, it, want me to go on this one? Go for it. That's fine. Uh, this to me is cringe. On multiple areas. Um, so on the one on the one hand, so I think it's cringe, starting with the way that they did it. See, like when I actually read into his statement, especially the last thing when he talked about um, that they were talking to the community and feel like maybe for some people it doesn't fully represent them. Like, 
I can understand it could even support that stance, right? In terms of you're trying to figure out the best way to address the community, which is, by the way, the fact that we play the national anthem in a, in a game, it's just tradition. Like there's nothing that makes it more American or less American with or without. So I have a lot less of an issue whether it stays or goes. I just don't like the way they did it. Like if that's a stance that you do want to take, it's a conversation that you do want to have, then be upfront about it. Like Mark Cuban, just go out and say it. Like, hey, this is what yeah. we're having a, a conversation with our community. Mm-hmm. We want to find the best way to do this thing forward. And while we do that, and especially while fans are not here yet, and we figure out what is the best way to do it, we're not, we're not going to par- take part in that part of the process and then force the issue, force the conversation, and be upfront about it and say that you're saying all these things. And if that's the case, I respect all of that. Because the part that I do agree with them is that I feel like many people are so passionate about feeling when there's moments that the flag is respected, but give no interest at all as to why that action actually took place. And I think it's, as in, in part what he's trying to say, I just think that he went the way that they went about saying it and doing it was just really terrible. Mm. So Short and sweet, right? Very short and sweet. I like that. So I agree with you. Hooray. Wow, we got one. Cringe. All right. Completely. And I, I, th- I think, um, you know, principally, I would also start with the process, right? By the way, I, I heard the, uh, well, we kind of watched a little bit of it together, but I heard the full interview mm-hmm. of Cuban explaining himself in this. Yeah, yeah. His explanation did not help him. I mean, it was like rambling and borderline incoherent. Look, I think the whole thing was dumb. He says at one point that he was thinking about it since November, but then he, when he stopped using the anthem, never told anybody, right? They were just like expecting people to find out or not find out. Or he, he clearly stated in the interview that their not playing of the anthem was essentially like a trial balloon. It was like, well, we decided to do this to see what would happen. Like, okay. And, you know, the other part that's, that, that's not, that, that's sort of like a head scratcher for me is here's, this is Mark Cuban, right? How many companies do you think he has in his portfolio? Just guess. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Is it 100, 200 companies? In his portfolio? Oh, with investment, he has more than that. Got yeah, hundreds. I think it's more than that. Hundreds, hundreds of companies. companies. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to find out how something may play, do you not think that one of the companies or 10 of the companies in the portfolio has some amazing analytics tool or research tool or sure. something you can tap in to find out, hey, if we stop doing this, what would happen? Like the it, it just seems like like hubris to like just take it away and go like, look, we're not going to say anything. Just take it away and let's see what happens and expect people not notice. I mean – People noticed and people started complaining. And for well, the not right away, thirteen games. I mean, that's that's quite well, a bit well, of games. I mean, we don't know when people started complaining. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I mean? maybe yeah. they started complaining right away. Or they didn't know or whatever it was. Um, I think that and coupled with the kind of non-apology or apology that's really like a little well, yeah, you know, kind of figure it out. I think all those things combined for me is is what made it. Oh, know, wait, I don't think it's cringy. any apology at all. I mean, it's yeah, more it's of a, it's an explanation of what he was doing and, and why. And then explanation is trying to give it a lot of merit and a lot of thoughtfulness, yeah. but. It doesn't come off that way where you are not being upfront about it. Correct. And if you feel that strongly about having the conversation, like Mark Cuban does not have to ask people for a lot of permission for a lot of things. Sure. And he could have come out and be very strongly made the made the point and made it a big fuss and yeah. said, we're going to do this and this is why. Put himself against the NBA and people will take notice. But here I do think that he, not that he's not Mark Cuban, but I do think that he had to answer to somebody. I think that the NBA called and said like, hey, you know, yeah, we get your position, but like you're taking the whole NBA with you and what you're doing. Like our policy is this. Sure. And I think he had to respond to that. Yeah, of course. He had to respond. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the only thing that I would, I, I, I disagree, uh, look at things a little bit different than, uh-huh. than, than what you did is the value of the anthem prior to sporting events. I think the reason of it, let's think about it at a just kind of like um, psychological slash spiritual level. We're about to compete with another team mm-hmm. that for that period of time we're like in this great heated rivalry we just can't we got to bash them and you know we got to sure. beat them 
but it's in the context of us being unified around a shared vision. Right. So like, oh, I can see that. you see what yeah. I'm saying? So like sure. the, the anthem is like, Hey, we're all together. And for the next hour, two hours, we're going to compete like we hate each other. But at the end of it, we're going to hug it out. To me, I think the anthem does that. It sort of sets the groundwork for the fact that like, look, at the end, of, we don't really hate each other. Like right. the Pistons don't really hate the Mavericks. Right. We're not going to kill each other if this thing doesn't go our way. And I think that the anthem, at least on some level, psychological or otherwise, does that. And that's why I think it's important to play. Yeah, and then look, and there's other parts of, of the game that happens, the coin toss, you know, the shaking of hand by the teams, you know, to show that there is a, hey, this is literally still just a game. Right. I agree with it. I, you know, I thought about that way. I think that that makes sense. But look, if it wasn't there, would you entirely lose the, the purpose of the game? And, no. Oh, probably not. No. So no. that's why to me, I'm a lot less like gung-ho that it has to be this way. Yeah. I just really don't like the way that he did it. And then going back afterwards and, and trying to give like this greater cause as to this great conversation, well, then just be upfront about it yeah. and say that. Yep, absolutely. Okay, good. Well, there you go. All right, we got one. Cringe. All right, cringe. All right, next, uh, last one, I think, uh, which is the Delta CEO um, comes out as being against mandating COVID-19 testing mm-hmm. for domestic travel. Mm. Um, now, in an interview with the Associated Press, Ed Bastian, uh, the CEO of Delta Airlines, criticized the possible coronavirus testing requirement for domestic travel after transportory, uh, Transportation Secretary Pete uh, Buttigieg mentioned an, an, uh, an active conversation he was having with the CDC to help spot, uh, stop the spread of COVID-19, right? Now, he said, and I quote, the level of travel that we're carrying domestically in the U.S., not just Delta, but across the industry, will be substantially reduced from today's already low levels if domestic testing was required. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the facility or the technology or capabilities to be administering or monitoring domestic testing. Uh, he continued to say testing is the key to is key to opening up international markets and borders. So I welcome the testing that the CDC is asking for a negative test before travelers enter the U.S. Testing is going to be an important step to reestablishing consumer confidence. And as the confidence builds, I think you could see those border restrictions come down. Right um, now, this also is in context that in January, the CDC announced that negative tests will be required for passengers on all international flights to the U.S., uh, following news of more infection strains uh, from abroad, right? Mm-hmm. So you heard about it in the UK, South Africa, South Africa, Africa yep. Brazil, I think another place. Yep. Um, but anyways, cur- the courage or cringe? Mutations. The comments from uh, uh, Ed Bastian, that's the CEO of Delta Airlines. Yeah. Um, so I'll start. I, I think it's. I'll put it in the courage category. I think it always. Um, you know, takes more to be the first one out in a big industry with a lot at stake. And I think he made a pretty compelling case. He's like, look, we're going to take. A huge hit to what already has been a beleaguered and bruised and beaten industry. We don't have the technology or capes to basically do this, meaning like we can't implement this at scale as you guys are imagining it, even at the minimal levels of travel we have now, let alone at a scale kind of a way. And the last thing is we'd be, what I read, which you didn't cover, but I read a piece of was we'd kind of be utilizing a lot of this testing, even if we could do it on in kind of like, sort of like wasting it in a way where like people who need to be, be tested you know, like we'd be utilizing it in a way that be sort of irresponsible relative to the, to the need that's out there. So I think for all those reasons, I come down on courage. Now the question is, you know, how much of this, how much does it matter that this guy has come out and said this relative to what's actually going to happen? I also wonder, and I didn't get this from the articles, but maybe, you know, how much of this is them floating like a little trial balloon too? Like, oh, we had this conversation and let's, I'm sure let's put that out into the PR and see what people respond to. Like, there's so much of that at work. Th- there's plenty of floating here going on from both sides, right? So um, there's, there's from, the, from the CEOs, of course. There's from the transportation secretary, of course, as well. 
saying, hey, we're having active conversations. You right. have to share that they're having an active conversation unless they want to kind of get a feel for how people are going to react to it, right? So I think there's a little bit of feeling out the waters a little on both sides mm-hmm. to see what the response is going to be. Um, I also think the last point I make just before, before you, there's just like something vaguely draconian about it very like uh you know papers please kind of those old movies where like you're getting on the train and the guy comes around with like the little you know indiana jones and temple of doom like he comes yeah, out you know it's like yeah, yeah. where are your papers you know what i mean so yeah, so yeah, yeah. that part just you know a, a, bit, a bit of melodrama there but nevertheless the point is that i don't like it um i, I think it's unworkable principally but um but i think that he you know he makes he makes a he makes a compelling case um yeah so i guess just to yeah, I'll start. So uh, my I'm on the opposite of that. So I'm on cringe um, in his comments, right? And it's I think it's for a couple of reasons. One is, um, you know, he he part of his concerns is there is an infrastructure issue that he's bringing up, right? There is like where the resources will be spent uh, in terms of testing that he's also bringing up, and then he's but but I think his starting point, which I think is the point that now I'm sort of interpreting what he's saying, is that I think his starting point is that he is concerned about the industry the industry already. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to make it worse for the industry, even if mm-hmm. we had the infrastructure, even if it wasn't a concern about where the resources yeah. are being spent, but that the industry is already going to is going to somehow get people to want to travel less. And that when I read that relative to his then turnaround, his statements about when he talks about the international markets and specifically highlighting when he's saying testing is going to be an important step to reestablish consumer confidence. And that's the confidence that you need literally to be able to help expand international travel. Why would that then be different for domestic travel? Because the same issue that, and as a matter of fact, we talked about this um, in the last episode where, where you were, so you made the example of flying as, as part of the justification of, look, if we can get on a plane and be locked into this you know, cylinder for you know, three hours, why can't we be able to have indoor services at mass, right? Very fair, fair question. And I think to that point is part of the concern I think people have for those that are more concerned is of having to get locked into this cylinder and have to travel across the, the, the country where there is literally no real protocols for keeping someone who is infected off of that plane. And especially with, with infection rates being so high in the States relative to the rest of the world, uh, I feel like the problem is actually bigger here that we should be worried about and trying to solve for cross-contamination of people going from one state to the other, especially as it sort of happened in the coast and then kind of the middle of the country that I think having a, an actual testing protocol would just help improve some of the, the consumer confidence to travel because they will feel safer and actually want to be on there, right? So the example I could give you is like, look, um, for the folks that have been, that are comedians that have been trying to do shows, right? One of the ways that they've gone around be able to get more people to show up to their shows is like, we're going to test everyone. Um, you know, Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan, they talk about us all the time. It's like they started doing the series of, of stand-up comedy specials and uh, or uh, shows, not comedy special, but, but stand-up shows. And what they decided to do, like, we're just going to test everyone that comes to the show. You want to come see us live? Great. You're getting tested. And what it did is just that it created a dynamic where people feel safe, safer being able to go. Now, uh, Dave Chappelle ended up still getting testing positive for COVID. But it's not, it's, I don't know if it was like a little bit unrelated or what it was, but he still ended up testing positive. But it still creates a more safer dynamic that creates the opportunity for people to actually go out and participate in the things that they may be otherwise hesitant and want to be part of. And for that reason, I think that this to me going to like is the logic consistent from one to the other. I don't see consistent logic. If you're telling me on the one hand that you're all for you think the testing is going to increase consumer confidence and you think it's super important to increase the international travel. Why wouldn't it also have the same effect on domestic travel, also increasing confidence to increase domestic travel? 
even if you and you could have fair concern like hey by the way if we're gonna do this i'm gonna need some help from the government yeah i think that i think that's mm-hmm. like okay then fine the only thing that i can think of is maybe his justification is a degree to which you can do anything about the international situation meaning the domain of your influence is relative to the u.s not to the international side maybe he would maybe I don't know. Like, well, that already happened, right? So he right. he's responding to something that's already the case. So he's all like, "Well, that kind of." It, it, I mean, it would be curious to hear what his comments were if he had any prior to the right. uh, uh, CDC putting in that for international travel, they were gonna you right. know require people having to test positive because yeah. it's a it's a pain in the butt for anyone for sure. I mean, and, we, I, and I, but I do think that there's a difference though, not just in degree but in kind of the example of what you said with Chappelle and Rogan. I mean, comedy shows are not people traveling on airplanes, right? Like transportation is something that's much more a, maybe it's not a right, but it's an, it's something that impacts a lot of people and it's, it's central to their lives and jobs and family relationships where a show is, is really in the kind of maybe not luxury, but non-essential kind of category. Yeah, that, right? that's fair. But, but, but and, and then the other but thing. But logistically mm-hmm. is a much sort of safer environment if you think about it that way. It in is. Almost every was, scenario. That's, that's where I was going, right? So for me, and this becomes like where you are on the, on the COVID level of, um, you know, argumentation has a lot to do with your own personal makeup, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, setting the bias at safer always invites the question of, well, something else could be safer, right? In other sure. words, we could literally just put on like a giant prophylactic from head to toe, never leave our house, and that would be super safe. But that's just not how we live. That's just yeah. not life. Yeah. So so like always setting the bias at a little safer, well, a little safer means you take this test. By the way, a little safer could be, and so to me, that's, it's tough to set that as 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 the the north star because that seems to me a very subjective thing where for some people safety would be like you know i've seen i've seen a lot of people wearing multiple masks now it's like well they feel safer you know right. two three four masks i to me that's not it doesn't even enter my frame of like thinking that i would wear five masks or four masks but i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it i'm just saying that that it goes it's on a tough thing to man- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that ultimately it comes back to that with the degree of risk that we're each willing to sort of accept. And then there's a baseline risk that applies to society at large, right? Which is why we have speed limits and street signs and stoplights and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the, the sort of difference between a mandated COVID test falls above that line of baseline in this particular case when you're talking about the I, entire I country. It, I think it would for a lot of people actually fall above. I mean, people have issue wearing a mask, one mask, let alone two or three or whatever, four. Right? Yeah. So I agree with you, I, I, which is, and I think that's going to be the case with all of this. That's what makes these, some of these a little bit challenging. But I still go back to the same, to the, to the one, what I think the key point of this whole thing, which is if... Part of the challenge that the you know the, the CEO of Delta Airlines is bringing up is the whole idea of like we have to get to a point to get more people to travel. And in order to get more people to travel, they have to be feel that it's safer yeah. to travel. Then what can be done to make it safer to travel? And that's where I feel like the argument that he's making goes counter to that point. Because you are going to have people that are going to feel like not happy about wearing masks. As a matter of fact, when the whole mask mandate of going on flights started happening, many people got kicked out of flights. There's all this drama. People just refuse to wear a mask, right? There's even some cases where, like, you know, in the case like even kids, which I don't necessarily agree with, but there was that point, right? So now getting to this case, you are going to have those people that are going to be very, very against it. Uh, but is the net is there a net positive or net negative by doing that? And I, I don't know. I feel like that by doing it, you actually would have a net positive because most people will be but more bet, confident about why she wanted to do it. Yeah, I bet you're right. And that's the thing: is the net positive is is it one? 
Is it one less person who's sick? Is it a thousand less persons who's sick? Like what? Is, and what's the cost of that net no, positive? My net positive is not people sick. Net positive and confidence of people wanting to travel. That's what I'm referring to, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I do think it'll have a, a direct impact on people, less people being sick. And you see it because look, we just came from a, like all time highs of infections that were very much driven, at least from where whatever it says, around holiday travel. It was holiday travel, whether it's you know traveling by sure, car, people, by flight, right. people getting together and the getting there, the being in, in groups, whatever. But if you had testing domestically, I guess everyone getting on a flight, you have to assume that you're going to catch some of those. Maybe not, maybe not all of them. Yeah. So it'll have some impact. But I, but to me, the bigger one that I think, if, if once again, if you're the CEO of Delta Airlines, that you would really care about is like how much does the lift consumer confidence, and how could it then turn around to more travel? happening because of that there's no doubt in my mind that there's some element of self-preservation in what he said and there's definitely an economic there's no question but i, I just feel that um you maybe know, you just think it's just too expensive to do it i guess it's possible i maybe mean look it's that i, I don't know you I, have, I have a little bit of a hard time understanding his logic on that one. When you lost 90% of whatever your market share was or just the volume in the last year and you're trying to rebuild, I mean, I, I you know, I can understand that. You, you know what it also could be, Charlie? Some level. I think it could also be in the case where it's just the, the fact of having the federal government mandated versus mm-hmm. them personally, each company saying, hey, I'll do it. Sure. For as long as I want to do it. Yeah. So I feel like I have to and do it. And by the way, to their credit, right, Delta, to that very point, I mean, Delta's been probably the earliest and the most consistent who didn't sell the middle seat, right? Other airlines did. They're for like, Sure, we saw it. We were on flights like, with the middle seat. Right. We were was an American. I an American. We flew on American, and it was like, wait a minute, what social? Also, distancing? like if you leave it up to entirely up to the airlines, I'm just I don't trust. Well, no, guys. but but what I'm saying is to their in their defense, right? right it's very easy to put them in, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, easy yeah. to put them in a category of like, oh, you just don't care about COVID. It's like, well, wait a minute, no, if I didn't care no, about no. COVID. I'd be trying to sell every one of my chairs. <laughs> I'd be selling every seat. Which, by yeah. the way, that's our next show. Is like they should just leave the sell every seat. No, leave the middle seat open and create a whole new airline experience. That's that's what I think the the good innovation opportunity is with uh, with all this COVID stuff. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's... Uh, I don't know where we nutted out, but it sounds like some level of agreement. No? Yeah. We, <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, this is not not, a, not our strongest one in terms of alignment, but but a good one. A lot of, uh, obviously, uh, topics in the gray in the gray area. Um, and with these, look, I still always enjoy hearing a very different take, uh, a very different angle to look at some of these some of these stories and understand how to like break them apart, which is I think part of the beauty of having absolutely. Um, anything uh, for the audience? Parting words, words of wisdom, no, encouragement. No, no, no wisdom. Lenten, bl- Lenten wishes. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> don't over don't over fat this Tuesday because uh, I'm missing the point. And then good luck to everyone that is uh, giving things up for now. Nice. Well, whatever whatever people did when they hear this, they're actually going to be hearing it on Ash Wednesday. So they will have already fattened or not because uh, <laughs> exactly. that's what actually is happening today. All right. Very good. Well, Jesus, thank you for another great show. Um, we'll see everybody again next week on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.